tonight, I want to invite you to take your copy of the Word of God and open with us to the ninth chapter of the book of Matthew, Matthew 9, verse 9 through 13. As as you know, we're journaling through the Gospels, and right now we're in Matthew, and so Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 through 13 this morning. I want to ask a question, how as the church, as followers of Christ, how are we to navigate our way through the deep end of the pool known as the presidential election? How are we to navigate that? Well, as, as we think about that question, I want to start with an illustration uh, that Pastor Tony Evans uh, implemented masterfully uh, to help us think about how to navigate through these, uh, the deep end of the pool. Okay, So think about this. Think about two football teams. Think about two football teams on any given Saturday or Sunday. They're on the field of play. Let's just take Sunday. Two teams in conflict on the field. Both teams have different strategies, they have different personnel, they have different goal lines, and literally, they're headed in two different directions on the field. And introduced to these two teams in conflict is a third team. It's a team of officials, and these officials uh, are introduced on the field of play. And these officials are on the field, but they're not supposed to be of the field. Uh, They are in the midst of the conflict, but they're not allowed to become part of the conflict because they belong to a higher authority at 345 Park Avenue in New York City, the NFL offices. And the commissioner has sent them out to every football game in the NFL to ideally, ideally bring order to the chaos that's on the field. Now, it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes they bring more chaos than there is on the field. But ideally, the refs are there to bring order to what otherwise would be just a chaotic conflict. And and these officials have to lead their personal opinions when they step on the field. They have to adjust them. They have to reorient their opinions and their perspectives to a higher kingdom. Their job is to bring order to the chaos. They're distinguishable by what they're wearing. They have on black and white jerseys. They are not a part of either of the competing teams. Uh, They are there and they've been given a book. And the book that they have is the rule book, the rules that govern the game that they are officiating. And so every rule, every play on the field, every decision that needs to be made on the field are to be made by and in accordance with that book, whatever it might be. They're made by the book, not by that person's history or their background or the experiences, not by what the official thinks, but solely they make the rules and they enforce them by that book. Knowing this, that sometimes they're going to be cheered and sometimes they're going to be booed. But they're not there for popularity. They're there to attempt to bring order to the chaos on the field. So, church, we have a book. Do we not have a book? Yes or no? Do we have a book? Yes, we have the Word of God. The Bible is our book. In fact, the Bible is God's book, and it's the book for the church. We have a book. And this 
book is alive and it's active. And every word of it is breathed out by God. And it is sufficient for everything you'll face in life. For whether it be an individual, whether it be a relationship or a situation, whether it be a, if you're a husband, if you're a wife, if you're a dad, if you're a mom, if you're a child, if you're a fellow brother or sister in Christ, if you're an employer or employee, God has laid out biblical principles that we are to apply to our life as we live as followers of Christ as the church. Whether it's individual, family, church, whatever it is, business, it doesn't matter. We have it laid out for us in scripture but what happens when we look around and the nation is unraveling before our eyes and the two teams on the field are republicans and democrats what do we do then sadly and i'm not talking about the world i'm talking about the church sadly the church what we do when we approach politics is we take this book and we put it down and we change books And we go to whatever book we lean toward. If we lean right, we go to that book. If we lean left, we go to that book. If we lean somewhere in the middle, we go to that book. Or we go to our personal preferences. And we we make our decisions there. We make our arguments there. And then we look around and wonder, why is everything still chaos? Why Why don't they see it like I see it? They should see it like I. And it's just chaos all around. Why? Because we've changed books. I suggest to you today the same book that God has given us for our families and individuals and our churches is the same book he's given us for government and our nation and politics. God doesn't change books when it comes to government. He doesn't put down his Bible and go get another book. It's God's book. Think about it this way. What if a ref during the game took off his kingdom, took off his his black and white jersey and put on a jersey of one of the teams on the field. That probably, uh, he'd probably call attention to himself. Or she would call attention to herself, right? And sadly, the church, too many of us, we've taken off our kingdom jersey. And we've put on our Republican jersey. Or we've put on our Democrat jersey. And we put down the book and we've changed books. All the while we wonder, why is there chaos all over the field? I know and I'm fully aware that when a ref walks into the replay booth, he's got to make a decision. Like he's got to come out of that replay booth or she's got to come out of that replay booth with either deciding is it an interception or not. Is it a fumble or not? Is it a touchdown or not? A decision has to be made. I know that. I know when Matthew, in the tax booth, in our text, walks out of the tax booth, he's made a decision. And I know when you walk into the voting booth, you've got to make a decision. I know that. You have to darken in one of those circles. I know that. I know that you've got to choose a candidate or write somebody in. I know that. And I pray that you will just not write off voting. I'll pray you'll register, you'll vote, vote your biblical convictions, vote, vote, vote. I pray that you will. And I know you've got to make a decision. So that's what I'm going to speak about today. A decision at the booth is what I've called this message, a decision at the booth. So we're going to read Matthew 9, 9 through 13 and look at the decision Matthew made at the booth. And hopefully that will help us as the church, as the church... As we enter the voting booth. Here we go. Matthew 9, verse number 9. As Jesus passed on from there, 
he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, you know, I, I, I am ashamed of the Pharisee that is in me. I've got too much Pharisee in me. And the Pharisees, when they saw this, look what they said to his disciples. They said to his disciples, verse number 11, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, this is Jesus, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Father, I, 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 I shiver to think how many of us who, who have been gloriously and graciously saved by your grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I shiver to think how many of us have too much Pharisee in us. And Lord, I pray for every believer in, in this room, every believer worshiping online, that through this message we would repent of the Pharisee in us. God, there's others that are listening, worshiping with us in person online. They're far from you. that They have never entered into a relationship with you. And Jesus has come to make that possible. That's the reason he has come. And I pray that someone today will meet you for the very first time. We ask it all, all of it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. amen. All right, personal pronouns. Pay attention to pronouns. So in these verses, we see Jesus say, follow me. Somebody say me. Amen. Say me. Right, follow me. And then look down at verse 13. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I, I came... I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So notice the personal pronoun. So in this text, what we see are, are sides. See the Pharisees on one side. See the tax collectors and sinners on the other side. And Jesus comes right in the middle of them with, with this takeaway. I want to go ahead and give you this takeaway. Jesus did not come to take sides, but to take over. He's not come to take sides. He's not come to, to, to side with the left or side with, with, with the right or to side with conservative or liberal or Republican or Democrat. He has come to take over. Like he, 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 is, he is on a completely different plane than what we operate. That's why we pray, uh, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is where? It's a completely different plane. He's operating above. Listen, when you go into the voting booth, Jesus is not going to be on the ballot. But he is above the ballot. He's greater than that. He has come to take over, not take a side, but to take over. 
And so what I want to do is I want to, I want to work through these verses, and I believe there's four votes that Jesus cast all through Scripture that I want to point out today. Four votes that Jesus has cast from Genesis to Revelation that I want to point out today. The first one I've worded this way, Jesus votes for life. Jesus does not vote for a lifestyle. Jesus did not come to accept your lifestyle. He did not come to accept Matthew as a tax collector. In fact, we know he changed his name. Mark says that Matthew was Levi. Apparently, Jesus changed his name. Matthew means gift of Jehovah. So Jesus did not come to accept Matthew's lifestyle as a tax collector. He's not come to accept your lifestyle. He has come to give life. He has come as the life. He has come as the resurrection and the life, not the lifestyle. He has come that we may have life, not a lifestyle. He votes for life. You see it all the way from Genesis to Revelation. He votes for life. And notice how this plays out in Matthew's life. Look at verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew. Now, verse 9 has so many miracles in it. It's, it's almost overwhelming. Like there is as much a miracle happening in verse number 9 than there is when Jesus told the paralytic, get up. There's just as much miracle happening in verse number 9 as Jesus looked at the leper and said, be clean. Just as much miracle happening here as, first of all, the Lord Jesus sees Matthew. Nobody goes out and seeks out a tax collector. Nobody's going to go seek them out. Nobody's going to pay attention to him. You try to avoid him. Just like taxes are, are important in 2020, I'm telling you, taxes were important in the first century. And Matthew was a tax collector sitting in a tax booth. Now, I don't believe that Matthew was wearing a Statue of Liberty costume, standing out in front of the tax booth waving a sign for Liberty Tax Service. I don't believe that's what he's doing. Jesus saw him sitting at the tax booth. Jesus sees who we don't see. Jesus hangs out with who we don't hang out with. And so Jesus sees Matthew. Remember, he's surrounded by people. Jesus is flooded up with folk. But he sees Matthew. And he sees him sitting at the tax booth. And the Bible says that he told Matthew, follow me. Now, another miracle here is Matthew. Matthew is including Matthew in Matthew's gospel. Now, who wrote the book of Matthew? Now, we know God is the author of the Word of God. We know that every word, every verse, every chapter, every book is breathed out by God. We know that. But he used men to pen the Word. And so Matthew penned the book of Matthew, and Matthew includes Matthew in Matthew's gospel. Why? Because Matthew wants you to know and wants me to know that he needed as just as much healing, in fact, more healing, because he needed to be healed from his sin than the paralytic or the leper did. He needed to be healed just like them. That we're all broken, we're all sinners. We're all fallen, and Matthew includes his testimony in his gospel. How appropriate is that? And so Matthew says that Jesus called him to follow me. Now, this is important because Matthew is a tax collector sitting in a tax booth, and he could levy taxes on anything and everything. In fact, he 
taxed even more than Rome required so he could line his pockets. And there were taxes on every, there were taxes on individuals, on families, on businesses, on fruit, on grain. He even taxed the wheels on the cart that carried the food and the grain and the grapes. They even taxed the oxen that carried supplies. There were road taxes and bridge taxes and poll taxes and duty taxes. There were taxes on everything. And Jesus looks at this tax collector sitting in the tax booth. This one who is totally and utterly unacceptable. From a religious perspective, tax collectors were not allowed in the temple. They were not allowed in the synagogue. You could not go to worship as a tax collector. You were excluded and outcast, unaccepted there. Politically, they had sided with Rome, did the tax collector. So politically, they were unaccepted. Socially, you could not eat at the house of a tax collector or have a tax collector as a guest in your home. Religiously, socially, politically unaccepted. Matthew was unaccepted by Jews, by Pharisees, by rabbis. He was unaccepted in the marketplace, in the synagogue, in homes, in businesses. He was unaccepted uh, by crowds and by society. But right here, we see that although he was unaccepted by everybody else, he is accepted by the Lord Jesus Christ. He went right to him. He said, you follow me. Follow me. Concise, simple, yet profound. Follow me. Jesus didn't say, follow Rome, follow Israel. He didn't say, follow the religious or follow the irreligious. He didn't say, follow this group because they're right. Or follow that group because they're right. He doesn't say follow the left or the right. Or he doesn't say follow Democrats or Republicans. He doesn't say follow conservative or liberal. He says you follow me. Follow me. This is the same call he extended to the, to, to, to the fishermen. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You follow me. Have you ever noticed how often we change? Just shifting with the wind. Uh, from, I mean, just, just, pick, just pick. People change all the time. I know people that have walked away from the faith. I know pastors who have changed theologies. I know some pastors that have walked away from the faith. Politicians change with the political shift in the wind. For, at one point, a politician will be for this. The wind will shift. They'll be for that. And vice versa. We see some politicians change. We see some political parties have switched and shifted over the years. What we, we've seen even the Pope is inching closer and closer to changing Roman the, the Catholic Church stance on homosexuality. Everybody changed. Everything's changing. This is why it's so important to remember that Jesus, it is said of our Lord, that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm so grateful that He, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change with the shifting of the wind. And do you know, do you know how, how paranoid I would be and how fearful I would be and how in knots I would be if I did not believe that our Lord is sovereign over every nation? Do you know what kind of fear I would be gripped with if I looked at our political process 
and did not believe that our God is sovereign, I'd be in a mess. But I know he's sovereign, and I know he rules over it all, and I know that he's going to elevate somebody in the White House. I know that. But I still know that he's going to be on the throne and above them all. I know that. I know he's sovereign. N.T. Wright said it like this, Politics will stop being our demon when politicians stop being our God. End quote. People change. The Lord Jesus never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He doesn't say, follow me and I'll make you followers of men. We follow him and we don't stop following him, but we'll make fishers of men. You, 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 you uh, give a man a fish and, and you feed him for a day. You teach a man to fish and he'll start wearing those shirts that uh, fisher dudes wear. No, I mean, that may happen. But you teach a man to fish and he'll, you've secured him for a lifetime. Be fishers of men. And so as we fish for men, we got to understand we wear the jersey of, of Jesus. We put on Jesus' jersey. Right, and we follow him. And notice what happened. Here's the miracle. And he rose and followed him. Now, I don't know if Matthew was having a bad day. I don't know if it was tax day and he was busy and just overcome with all the transactions. I don't know if it was Monday. How many of you had a bad Monday? What is it with Monday? Why, why is it? I was thinking about this the other day. Why is it that Monday is so far away from Friday. And Friday is so close to Monday. Why is that? So I don't know if it was Monday. I don't know if he was having a bad day. But I do know this. When he heard the Lord Jesus call Matthew. He didn't even say Matthew. He said, follow me. The Bible says he rose and followed him. Now, this is not what happens on Sunday morning in your house and my house. That mom and dad are getting ready and calling upstairs to the, to the kids. Come on, let's get ready. We got to go. We're going to be late. Let's go. We got to go. Come on. We got to go. We gotta, we're going to be late. And the kids yell back, hold on. I'm coming. I'll be there in a minute. I got to brush my hair. I got to brush my teeth. I'm coming. Hold on. I'll be there in a minute. That's not what's happening here. Jesus doesn't say, come on, Levi, come on, let's follow me. Come on, Matthew, come on, you got to follow me. And Matthew's not saying, wait a minute, Lord, i got to get this transaction done. i got to get this done. i got to brush my teeth, got to comb my hair, i got to get this. No, it's immediate. It's as, as, it's, it is as immediate as it was when he told the paralytic to get up. It's as, as immediate as it was when he told the leper to be clean. Immediately, Matthew is saved, and he begins to follow Jesus. It's immediate. Immediate. Follow me. He rose, and he followed him. And what's fascinating about Matthew's account, it's different from Mark's account. Mark says that Matthew left everything to follow him. Matthew doesn't tell us he left anything to follow him. Isn't that amazing? Mark says he left everything to follow him. Matthew doesn't tell us he left anything to follow him. In reality, he left his post. He left his position with Rome. He left all those possessions. He walked away and followed Christ here's why that's important Matthew is not writing this to make much of Matthew Matthew is writing this to make much of Jesus there's no way that Matthew could have known five years earlier that on this day Jesus was going to come and tell him follow me 
If you were to ask Matthew where you're going to be in five years, there's no way he would have said that. Just like you and me, all those worshiping online and in person, there's no way in 2015, none of us would have answered correctly where you're going to be in five years. None of us would have, well, we're going to be locked down on COVID-19. Nobody would have answered that correctly. Matthew had no idea. Maybe today is the day that Jesus is looking at you and saying, follow me. Maybe today's your day. Jesus votes for life. Joshua chapter 5. I want to read this account to you from Joshua 5. What happens in Joshua 5 is known as a theophany, according to scholars and theologians. And a theophany is where Jesus Christ appears in the Old Testament. It's a pre-incarnate Christ that appears in the Old Testament. And Joshua 5, the commander of the army of the Lord, is that pre-incarnate Christ. So the scene is Joshua at Jericho. They haven't marched around the city yet. They haven't blown their trumpets yet. They haven't, the walls have not fallen yet. But just before this, this happens. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Which side are you on? Are you on our side? Or are you on their side? And he said, no. <laughs> but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth as he worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to him, Take off your sandals for your, off your feet for where this place where you're standing is holy ground. So Joshua wanted him to pick a side. Take a side. Are you on our side or their side? Whose side are you on? He said, No. He said, I've not come to take a side. I've come to take over. I've come now. I'm here. What does Joshua do? He bowed down. He worships. Because the Lord has come. Jesus has come to take over. Now, I know full well, and you know full well, when it comes to entering the voting booth, the reality is there's no candidate and or party that captures all of the person of God, the, 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 the God's person and God's policies. We don't have a perfect, there is no perfect candidate. There is none. So when you go in there, vote your biblical convictions. Vote, vote, vote. But when you come out of that voting booth, make sure your allegiance is to Christ and you're following Him. Make sure of that. Pastor Tony Evans would say it like this. If you're going to vote Republican, be a Republican light. If you're going to vote Democrat, be a Democrat light. Why? Because your allegiance is to Christ as a follower of of Jesus. Number two, Jesus votes for the lost. So not only does he vote for life, he votes for the lost. Look at verse number 10. Here we go. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners. You know, you know what I love about Matthew? You know, some, I've talked to so many folks who say, man, I, I, they're on the verge of making a decision for Christ, but they're, they're concerned about everything they're going to have to give up. And I'm going to have to walk away from all this other stuff I've been doing. This sin is fun. I'm going to have to walk away from all that. Kind of bummed about it, but I'll go ahead and, and, and trust Christ because I know it's the right decision. But man, I'm really bummed about what I'm giving up. This is not Matthew. 
Mark tells us Matthew throws a great feast, a great banquet, throws a party. He is celebrating the fact that he gave all that up and now he's following Christ. He's celebrating. It's fascinating. He throws this big feast. He invites all his tax collector buddies, all the sinners that he can find. He wants them to meet Jesus. He wants them to see this one who has changed him. And so the tax collectors are there. These are the ones that are worse than sinners, according to the Pharisees, because they're traitors. They've betrayed Israel. They've sided with the enemy, Rome. And then you have the sinners, which are just anybody that's irreligious, anybody that doesn't keep up with the Pharisees' rules and regulations. The truth is they're sinners, you're sinners, I'm sinners, we're all sinners. That's the truth, right? And so here's Jesus sitting down, having a meal, reclining, with those that the Pharisees would have nothing to do with. And what a reminder it is for us, whatever side of the political aisle you're on, what, what, a, what a reminder for us that Jesus would eat with each of our opponents. Isn't that a good reminder? That Jesus is going to hang out with and eat with the people that we refuse to hang out with and to eat with. That's, who he, that's directly who he's going to eat with, is the people that we want. He came to appetize with what we uh, think are those that are awful. He came to break bread with the broken. He came to communicate with the unclean. He came to dine with the detestable and eat with outcasts. And he came to fellowship with felons and fugitives and grab a bite with the goons and hang out with hoodlums and tailgate with the thugs. That's why he's come. That's why he's come. And I pray that it'll be time for us as a church to, 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 to quit focusing on what divides us, whether it be uh, po politics or whether it be a mask or whether it be social distancing or whatever it might be, that's so easily. Satan loves to use those things to divide us. Don't let any of that harm your relationship with family, friends, or the church. Don't let it do that. Let's focus on what connects us. Let's focus on what unites us. Let's focus on the fact that there's only one prerequisite to being a Christian. Only one. The only prerequisite for anybody becoming a follower of Jesus, there's only one. And it's this. You have to be a sinner. You have to be a sinner lost in order to become a follower of Christ. And that's good news because praise God we're all lost without Christ. We're all sinners without a Savior outside of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And church, this church is not a group of people that you have picked and choose to be your friends. Now, praise God, you may be friends, and I praise God for that. But a church is a group of people that God has picked out for you, brothers and sisters in Christ, for you to love one another and put up with one another and serve one another and pray for one another. Don't allow election day to destroy your family, your friends, and your church. Don't let it happen. Focus on what really matters. God has not called us to make this nation, America, this world a better place and then die and go to hell. That is not what He's called us to do. He has called us to live on this earth, but not of it. In this world, but not of it. To bring harmony and light of the gospel to those who are far from Him. He loves, He votes for the lost. And we see it right here. Can I tell you today 
that the gospel of Jesus Christ is bigger than politics. The church, praise God, is bigger than political parties. And God is bigger than any election. He's sovereign over it. And so check out what Jesus is doing. He's reclining. It's not like he's being awkward and nervous. You know, when they would eat, they would lay their feet uh, this way and their head toward the table, and they would recline at the table. So he's hanging out, reclining. So let me ask it this way. Do you love lost people? Do you love lost people? If you don't love the lost, then you don't love the Lord. You don't. You can say what you want to, but you don't. Because that's precisely who the Lord loves. If you love lost people, pray for laborers. Jesus tells us a few verses later. And I think we miss this. I think we really miss this part of uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I think we forget that the future laborers right now, they're in the harvest. The lost are in the harvest. And when they're harvested, they become laborers, and then they turn around and harvest. This is Jesus' plan. He votes for the lost. Number three, Jesus votes for the least. Verse 11 and 12, Jesus votes for the least. Check check out what happens with this other group of folk, the Pharisees. They they were the separated ones. They were above everybody else because they kept the law and they held to their rituals and their religion and their regulation and their rules. And so they're above everybody else. They're righteous and above everybody. In their own minds, they are. And so they look at everybody else as below them. And you see these Pharisees, and they're asking the disciples the question. So you see these two groups of people. Sinners, tax collectors, Jesus' disciples, and the Pharisees. Uh, Think about it like this. There are three groups of people in the world. Somebody say three. Three groups of people in the world, right? How many? Three groups of people in the world. Those who are good at math and those who are not good at math. I know, that's corny. That's That's a dad joke. Terrible joke. You can tell I'm not very good at math. But here there's clearly two sides. There's two groups that the Pharisees say, why is he eating with them? Why is he not with us? Isn't he a rabbi? Isn't he a Pharisee? Why is your teacher, why is your rabbi doing this? When he should be doing what clearly our religion and rules and regulations teach. They want Jesus to pick a side. They want to pick their side. Jesus is not on the ballot. He's above it. And it's a good good reminder for us that as a church, (laughs) you know, the church is the only organism, the only organization in the whole universe, where the qualification for membership is that you're not qualified for membership. (laughs) I mean, that's it. We're not qualified. Now, Christ qualifies us, sure, but in and of ourselves, we're not qualified. That's why Jesus said this later on in Matthew, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick, in prison you visited me. As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Again, let me remind you that Friday we have a great opportunity to be the Lord's hands and feet, uh, to feed those who need some food and to engage those who need to be engaged, pray for those who need to be prayed for, love on those who need some love. And Friday, this week, day before Halloween, if you can volunteer, be here at 7 8 to whatever time we'll give out these boxes. We don't have as many as we've had in the past, just 546 this time. But, man, what will God do as we're faithful to him? Jesus 
votes for the least. Last one, number four, Jesus votes for love. Verse 13, as Jesus says at the end of verse 12, uh, that those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So Jesus is really uh, pressing in on the heart of the Pharisees, saying, listen, guys, y'all say y'all are well, then why aren't y'all going after the sick? If you really believe you're well, if you really believe you're righteous, why aren't you going after those who are not righteous? Why aren't you going after the tax collector? Why aren't you reclining with them? That's why I've come, to do just that. And so verse 13 highlights the love of our Lord. That he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I desire grace and love and not religious rituals and regulations and rules. I desire mercy. I desire unconditional love. I desire grace. In other words, here's what the Lord's saying to them. You see the little phrase, go and learn? That's a phrase that the rabbis would often use with one another as they would tell their students or their followers, hey, if one was not where they should be, if one was not as far along as they should be, the Pharisees would, or the rabbis would say, you go and learn this. You go back to the Torah, go back to the Word of God, and you learn this. Go and learn. It was a common phrase that they would tell their, the rabbis would tell their followers, go and learn, go and learn, go and learn. So Jesus is speaking the language of the ones with whom he is speaking. They would have clearly understood this. Okay, he wants us to go he wants us to go to Hosea. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In other words, here's what the Lord is saying to the Pharisees. Stop changing books. Stop it. You have my word. Follow my word. Go learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. It's like he's saying, okay, guys, stop leaning on a shovel and praying for a hole to be dug. Take the shovel, dig the hole. Right? Stop leaning on my law and abusing it or adding to it or taking away from it. Stop leaning on the Torah and leaning on the law and not trusting it and living by it. And not seeking it. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. God is concerned about our hearts, not our religion. That's what he's saying to the heart of the Pharisee. I'm concerned about your heart, not your religion. Here's what we know about our Lord. And this is all through Scripture. Not just Matthew 9, verse 13. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I came not to call the righteous but sinners. But this is a truth we see all through Scripture. That Jesus, God is love. Jesus loves. Jesus loves you. He loves me. He loves us. Amen? We need to be reminded of that. Jesus does love you. He loves you more than you love Him. He loves you more than you love Him. He loves you before you loved him. But we also need to know that Jesus loves the people that we love to hate. He loves them. We need to be reminded that Jesus loves us just as much as he loves the people that we love to hate. We need to be reminded that God does not love us more than he loves the people that have betrayed us and hurt us and offended us, he doesn't love us more than he loves them. 
He is love unconditionally. He desires mercy and not sacrifice. He loves He loves us all. Now that doesn't mean that all will love him. Doesn't mean that. Just because Jesus loves the world, it doesn't mean that the world's going to love him. But it's who our God is. It's his character. He, he is love. He has not come to take a side. He has come to take over your heart, your family, our church, his church, and this world. It's who he is. One day he's coming to rule and reign over all of, all of creation. Certainly he rules and reigns over it now. But one day when he comes again, he's coming as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It was a dusty day on the diamond that day. It was the bottom of the ninth. There's two outs. Winning runner at third base. Full count on the batter. And the pitcher's windup was, was crisp. And his pitch was fast. And the batter swung the bat like a boss. And hit that ball right into the infield. A ground ball. It was scooped up. It was thrown home just as the third base runner was sliding into home plate. And a dust cloud just engulfed the catcher and engulfed the runner and engulfed the umpire and engulfed the ball. And nobody could tell, is he out? Is he safe? The whole game depended on whether he's safe or is he out. Nobody could tell because of the cloud of dust. Both dugouts emptied out onto the field. The one team that wanted to win the game, obviously, was saying, safe, he's safe. The other team that, of course, didn't want to lose the game was saying, he's out, he's out. And all this chaos unfolds and the dust is flying everywhere. And in the midst of it all, you hear the umpire scream out, quiet. It ain't nothing till I call it. 2020, the dust is flying everywhere. It's over here, it's over there, it's over there, it's over here. The left is saying this, the right saying that, the Republicans saying that, the Democrats saying this. There's dust everywhere. And in the midst of it all, God in heaven is saying, Quiet! It ain't nothing till I call it. He's come to take over, not take a side. And that's clear because he tells Abraham to take his son, his only son Isaac, whom he loved, and sacrifice him. On Mount Moriah, that's someone that's come to take over. He's come to take over. As he told Moses and Joshua, take off your sandals for where you're standing is holy ground. He told Moses to take his staff and throw it down. He tells his people not to take the name of the Lord in vain. Why? Because he's not come to take a side. He's come to take over. He has come to tell us to take refuge in him. He even came and told Joshua, I've come to take over. He's not come to take sides. He's come to take over. That's why he tells us in his word to take his yoke upon us. For his yoke is easy. His burden is light. That's why he tells us to take hold of eternal life and to take eat. This is my body given for you. This is why he tells us to, uh, to, to take up our cross daily and, and to follow him. And he tells us to, 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 that he is the only one worthy to take up the scroll. This is why he tells us that at the end of his book, that he will take away our share in the tree of life if we take away a word from the book of this prophecy. 
Jesus has not come to pick a side and take a side. He's come to take over. He's not come on a Democrat donkey or a Republican elephant. He's come as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Praise God he hadn't come to take away Democrats or Republicans as far as the East is from the West. But praise God he's come to take away our sin as far as the East is from the West. Praise God that he's come not to take a side on earth. He's come to take souls to heaven. And we get to be a part of that, church. You and me, put on your kingdom jersey. And when you enter that boot, that, that booth, vote however your biblical convictions call you to. But when you walk out, understand you are a follower of Jesus Christ in Christ, church. Maybe you're here today and you've never had a relationship with God. I want to tell you that Jesus has come so that you can. And right now, today, you can turn from your sin and answer the call of the Holy Spirit, whispering to you right now, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. How do you do that? It's really simple. It's profound. It boggles the mind, but it's simple. You just admit you're a sinner. You believe in your heart. Remember, God cares about your heart. You believe in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is. That God raised him from the dead. He laid down his life and paid the penalty for your sin. And you call on his name and you'll be saved. And the Bible says you'll go from being a child of wrath under God's judgment by believing in Christ to becoming a child of God. As he has made a way for you to become a child of God. I pray you'll make that decision today. If you would, bow your heads with me as we pray. Father, for every person in the room or those at home that would say, you know what, I'm ready to make that decision, become a child of God, to be saved, to be rescued from my sin, and to give my allegiance to Christ. I pray right now they'll open their heart, they'll whisper a prayer between them and you and say, yes, Lord, I'm a sinner, but I believe that you've come to save me and rescue me from my sin. I know you love me that much. And today I call on your name and ask you to rescue me from my sin, from your wrath and from hell. In Jesus' name. You call on his name, he'll save you right now.